What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, thank you for joining. I am your host, Ethan Bridge. Before I dive into the intro, I'd greatly appreciate if you pulled out your phone, opened up the podcast app and left a five star rating and review. It literally takes a matter of seconds and you don't even have to stop listening. On today's episode of the podcast, I had the pleasure of speaking to Leonard Kim. He's an award-winning marketer, speaker, and the author of Ditch the Act with McGraw-Hill Business. Leonard specifically specializes in executive and personal branding, employee engagement workshops, and healthcare. As I mentioned, time and time again, I use this podcast as a platform to share the failures and lessons learned from some of the top entrepreneurs, as these are the things we don't normally get to hear about and Leonard has definitely had his fair share of failures. From losing jobs, to having to move back in with his grandparents, to being overworked and underpaid, he was literally worked to the point he almost gave up on everything. But in 2013, his life took a turn for the best and he never looked back. He discovered his passion for writing, and by the end of 2014, his publications had over 10 million reads in total. An incredible achievement for such a short period of time. And by the end of 2015, Leonard started working in academic medicine and launched an executive branding agency called Influence Tree on the side of what he was doing already. Both things excelled heavily, and the rest is history. In this episode, I delve into Leonard's struggles and discuss the mental health issues he's experienced. We discuss how he was then able to turn this all around and was then able to achieve everything he has done to date. It's one hell of a story. This is an incredibly interesting journey and I urge you all to listen closely. It may even provoke thoughts with regards to your perception towards mental health and at the end of the day, if I'm able to even assist just one person in opening up about any issues they may currently be having and set them on the path to recovery, I will be forever fulfilled. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking to Leonard Kim. Leonard, how are you doing today? Oh, that's a great question to ask. Today I'm doing okay. Yesterday was pretty horrible. The day before was even worse because I caught a flu. But you know what? Feeling fine today. How about yourself? Um, pretty much the same other, other than it's the other way around. I've caught the flu this morning, as you can tell. Oh. But we'll get through it. I'm fine. We soldier on. It's another podcast episode under the way, so I'm happy. <laughs> so for the listeners that don't know who you are, if you don't mind just giving us a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do, please. Sure. If you picture someone who's like a regular guy in life, not really that good at anything, that's basically me. But it's kind of progressed to a point where um, somehow I was able to write a book with an international publisher. It's called Ditch the Yak, Reveal the Surprising Power of Real You for Greater Success. I run a personal branding agency 
where I help other people go out there and build their personal brands to become number one in their industries. I'm the chief marketing officer at a data privacy company called Do. And uh, yeah, I'm lighter. I like cookies. I live with a beautiful wife named Angie. And we have this amazing little chihuahua named Boo. We like to go hang out. We got this new house that's kind of up in uh, more of this uh, <clears throat> mountainy type area. Uh, we take long walks on the beach. We go to the swings in the area and ride those. You know, all the things that normal people do. Um, ha have you rode any swings lately? <laughs> not since that's a good almost great question not since i was young i can't i'm i mean i'm almost 21 now so probably since not since i was about 12 but i've never i can tell you i've never out. been i can tell you i've never been asked that question before and <laughs> before you when you started a normal guy who's not very good at anything and then you listed off all of those accolades i think you are pretty good at some things that people obviously look up to so i can't wait to dive into some of those but the way i like to start all my episodes is to throw it back with my guests and ask them pretty much about their childhood and their times at school so let's say let's focus on a 14 year old version of yourself did you find school easy were you a straight a student were you the class clown that sat at the back and didn't really do anything how were you at the age of 14 what grade are you in at 14 <laughs> um well we over here we'd call it year nine so i don't know what oh that, nine. that year yeah. <laughs> uh things were extremely bad in year nine so <laughs> in my when i was in ninth grade my father my grandfather he was dealing with alzheimer's he had his leg amputated and i think this was just right before he passed away so being uh raised by my grandparents my grandmother and my grandfather grandfather who showed me love every single chance he got she bought me mcdonald's volunteered at the school cafeteria i uh, helped others just gave me so much love and attention and also by a grandmother who rode with an iron fist uh i mean it was cool everything was great until my uh grandfather started to get alzheimer's and when that kind of happened and he had his leg amputated he forgot who i was so I started to feel all this pain and this hurt. And in the Asian community about uh, however long, let's say 20 years ago, uh, it wasn't really a thing to do to go see like a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist or whatever. And because that wasn't the norm in the cultural background, but up happening was I started having outlashes, I started doing it horrible in school, my good grades started to fall, and things began to kind of fall apart. So I guess on that time frame, actually no, ninth grade I did okay, I think I got 3.0. Is it 3.0 a good GPA? Uh, we don't run on the same sort of structure over here, so I wouldn't know. So I'm oh. sorry I can't chip in there, but Honestly, that sounds like you were having a quite a tough time at the age of 14. I mean, I wish I could have brought up a, a happier year to start <laughs> a podcast episode with, but you've clearly managed to work your way through it because, I mean, look at you now and some of the, as you said, mentioned, listed some of the your achievements off at the beginning. You've done extremely well. So, because I'm, I'm sort of familiar with the Asian culture because of my girlfriend's background, but... Some of our listeners might not be. So why, why do you feel as if 
back when you were 14, the culture was a bit different. Tell us a little bit about the Asian culture in comparison to, say, the American or the English. Well, I mean, 20 years ago, therapy wasn't really a big thing in any culture, really. It's just really picked up popularity now. And yeah. I think for the Asian culture, there's some more... Uh, more um what's that word called uh more sheltered about what they share and yeah. they don't like to reveal a lot of like personal data about themselves so it's a very reserved culture and uh compared to like a lot of uh, other cultures where they're openly sharing the different things that's going on uh most asian people just really keep to themselves fair enough and obviously, thank you for explaining that sort of gives some background to who you are and how you grew up. So I sort of pitched this podcast to you already, and I mention it time and time again. But the main reason I do this podcast is to say that I believe that social media is glamorizing entrepreneurship. And I shouldn't really just limit that to entrepreneurship, but more to just life in general. All we get to see are the successes. We never get to see the failures and what it really took for all of these people I'm interviewing to achieve all of these luxury things that we see on these platforms. We don't get to see the 16 hour plus work days, the sacrifice of spending time with family and building relationships. And in some cases, the mental health health issues experienced and I've listened to a couple of your podcasts before I've heard you feature on other people's podcasts and it sounds like you've definitely had your fair share of failures in order to get to where you are today I mean you've you we all know you didn't just wake up one morning being featured in Forbes Inc magazine being on TV and in just other publications in general so I'd love you to tell the listeners your origin story to how you actually got to the point you're at today. Well, after my grandfather passed away, I mean, my life kind of became a little tumultuous. And because of his passing, I didn't really know how to deal with a lot of those emotions. So I started, you know, doing things that my grandmother told me were bad, like um, starting to drink coffee, drink alcohol, hang out with the wrong people, smoke weed and all this other great stuff. And it got me into a lot of trouble. But I believe there came a point in time where I was like, you know, I really got to get career focused. And I started my career working at a store called Macy's and I was selling women's shoes. And after I started my career there, I kind of moved into car sales because my mom decided that she wanted to move over to Hawaii. She told me I would have to pay for the car and apartment and everything. And my paycheck from my job at Macy's didn't seem to really cut it. So I decided (laughs) to look for a different opportunity. Started selling cars, moved over to a different dealership. Then the entrepreneur bug hit me, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go make this music startup. I kind of got cocky and arrogant, thought I could really succeed with it. All it really did was put me into a lot of debt. Uh, it made me isolate myself from a lot of my friends because I was trying to sell them all things I want. Then uh, fast forward a little more, that company failed. Then I said, you know, maybe I'll make some money in real estate. The real estate market went uh, down immediately after when fire, uh, Bear Stearns went down in the fire sale. And I'm like, oh, great. Guess I'm not making money from this industry. Let's go try an investment fund. Then go work there for like two or three months. And then the stock market crashed. And I'm like, wow, great. Now my employer is bouncing checks on me. 
Then uh, my friend was like, hey, do you want to come work at this uh, lead generation firm that we're creating? And I'm like, I don't know. It seems kind of far. But then he pushed me into it. And then that thing failed afterwards. Then another thing failed and another thing failed and another thing failed. I came to a point where I didn't pay my electricity bill for about six months. So I was showering in the dark, um, got an eviction notice, had to go live with my grandma for a while, about to be homeless. And then after I was there, my grandma said I had to get a job and she was yelling at me. And any grandma who yells at you, it's kind of a really scary thing. So I thought, okay, tell me about any it. job, then she won't yell at me. So I got a job and another startup, they pay me about $2,300 over the course of nine months. So that's maybe like 300 bucks or something a month. And then I was like, you know what? I can't be here anymore. I need to go and make it off on my own. I moved back to Los Angeles, borrowed a few hundred bucks, started sleeping on the sofa and thought I could uh, get a job. So I got a job and that was at American Honda. I was paid $16.24 an hour, which comes out to about 30 grand a year. And I thought that I could work my way up the corporate ladder and just have a regular job and maybe become a director one day. But that didn't really end up happening. So I decided that I probably wanted to end it all. And I kind of planned out my death, wrote a few letters uh, saying goodbye. One of my exes called me, snapped me out of it, told me how stupid I was to actually go go through with something like that. So didn't get to kill myself and whether that was fortunate or not, it forced me to really think about what I had to live for. Uh, a few months after that, I broke my ankle, uh, hopping the fence one day when I was drunk. Forced me to be bedridden for about three months. Had nothing, or sofa-ridden if you want to be accurate. And within those three months, I had a lot of time to really reflect upon all the decisions I made that kind of got me to where I was. And I realized that a lot of my actions were because I was selfish, trying to look out for only me, and not really living how my grandfather uh, raised me to be giving uh, <clears throat> with the mentality of love, helping others, and all that other fancy stuff. But I didn't really have anything to give, so it took me a year. Then after that year, I was like, you know what? I really gotta go out there and start writing. So I did, and I was like, I have to give back to the world in some way. But because I didn't have anything to give, I was like, you know what? I'll just write about my failures and struggles. So no one else has to ever encounter any of the same things that I have. And within six months, that turned into two million reads. In a year and a half, that turned into 10 million. It turned into media features. Um, And grew from there. And I'd like to say it was all like, you know, cherries and roses after that. But I had a breakup in, I don't know, 2016, 2017. And that breakup put me off on the wrong track for about a year where I was just out partying, trying to forget everything that was going on. Then the next year I met my wife, Angie, and we were kind of in the honeymoon phase for years. Everything was kind of coasting on autopilot and I wasn't really doing any work. But hey, their personal brand was still intact, which was kind of awesome. And in February this year, my wife decided to quit her job due to a misogynistic incident. And then I'm like, okay, great. Um, $9,000 a month from our household income just vanished. What the hell am I supposed to do? And 
I don't know about you, but if I took six figures a year away from you, would you be hurting? Uh, yeah, I don't even get six figures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so any household out there, if you just take out this huge uh, part of it, a uh, huge amount of income, like it just hurts any family. So I was like, oh no, what should I do? Around that same point when she quit her job is when I finished writing my book, Ditch the Act. But uh, during that time frame when she quit her job, that's when I really had to put on the work hats again and start getting back to work. And from February to July, uh, while I was getting back to work, I was able to, you know, uh, replace about twice her income. So that was kind of nice, uh, just by having that established personal brand, opening up, asking for help, seeing how I could help others and things like that. So, you know, things are cool now. Yeah. Well, oh, the I mean, book came out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it also, it goes to show how important actually having a personal brand is and I love the, the fact that you sort of the way you've picked yourself up was by just sharing your failures and that's as I say this is a platform where I love talking about people's failures so other people don't have to go through the same thing and if people like you and I didn't do this people wouldn't realize that people do actually fail in order to succeed in business. It doesn't, as you say, it's not all sunshines and rainbows. It's not easy the first time around. Think of how many times you failed to actually get to the point you are today. You failed your first startup. You didn't do well in real estate. Your investment fund just flopped because the, the, the financial crash. You then worked for a few startups that failed. Like countless and countless of failures before you actually made it, well, I say made it, you might not consider yourself making it, but from most people's perspectives, you would, they see you as making it. Like, and if it wasn't for people like you and I actually trying to share these failures, people wouldn't realize because, as I say, people are scared to share failures. They feel as if people are only interested in the successes. And I personally think that people are scared of being judged for failing i don't know about you yeah. but do you think that's a fair point yeah it is a fair point and what lady gaga says you know quote the expert right <laughs> pain <laughs> is the greatest equalizer so it's yeah. so funny because uh aside from that the quote comes from lady gaga pain really is the greatest equalizer because it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, there's going to come a point in anyone's life every single person's life where they experience a great tragedy whether it's going to be the loss of a possession like a house or a car uh the death of a loved one a divorce or something right so everyone's yeah. going to experience any of these things or the loss of a business for entrepreneurs and <clears throat> And most of us, what we do is we hold those failures deep inside because we feel shame, we feel guilt, we feel like we're not worthy enough. And it's kind of interesting because we feel like we're the only ones who feel that way. Yet when someone goes and shares first, what ends up happening is people are okay going second, third, fourth, and going, oh yeah, that happened to me too. But and then when we see that first person sharing, we're like, wow, that's so brave, that's so bold, that's so inspiring. Yeah, inside us, what we really see that is, is like shame and all this other stuff. So if you really think about it, sure, you might see it as shame and stuff, but you're probably misconstruing how you act, 
your internal feelings are probably misconstruing the reality of what happens when you do share. And that's research that's backed by Brene Brown and everything. So uh, there's a lot of proof in going out there and sharing these things. I mean, I wrote an entire book with tons of examples of different people who go out there and share their failures, and it's really turned them into creating massive success in their life. So it's like, if sharing the failure creates success, then why are we scared to share the failure? For sure. I think you couldn't put it in a better way than that. And I, I, I think we need to, people need to become more comfortable talking about failing opposed to just talking about the successes. And I think it will improve over time. I hope it improves over time. Otherwise people are just going to be logging onto Instagram every day and going, Oh God, they might log onto Instagram and think, Oh, this is going to be really good. I'm going to see where everyone's having fun. And then you get on there and think, Oh cool. They're all having fun. I'm not. And, and, but realistically, most of the people, when you scroll through, it's a highlight reel. I don't know how it's people say it everywhere. It's a highlight reel. And those people that you see smiling in on luxury holidays, most of them, well, I say most of them, you don't know whether they are or not, but a lot of the time they're not happy. And I think it's going to, I hope it improves over time. I do, because I think social media is a great platform to improve livelihoods. People make livings off of the platform and it's just our duty to use it in the right way. I just think a lot of people don't. Well, if you were told to not air your dirty laundry, if you were told, oh, don't don't talk about your struggles, oh, keep it strictly about business, oh, do this, do that, then you hold all these things inside. And if you had social norms in my grandfather's time where you would walk down the street, greet each other and ask how they, people really felt and they told you, then you moved into like my parents' generation where people went to keeping up with the Joneses and tried to get the bigger house and car and the boats and all the other fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. And you fast forward to now and everyone's competing to try to prove how much happier they are than other people. Then what, what does that leave us with? It leaves us in a world where everyone's faking how happy they are, and if everyone's faking how happy they are, then who's truly happy? Who's truly fulfilled? We have to go and put on a brave face and smile for that Instagram selfie just so that we can prove that we're doing something amazing with our lives because we have to prove to everyone else that we're not a loser. For sure. And then, yeah. That leads to anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts feeling like you're the only one who's struggling. And what does that do to our society as a whole? Yeah, I, I mean, if you kind of put the pieces together in that order, it kind of like lays out the exact roadmap of why anxiety is at an all-time high, where suicide's at an ec- almost an epidemic proportion. And it's just because no one's really able to go out there and express themselves anymore. So how do you go out there and change that? That becomes the next question, right? Yeah. So I know you're obviously heavily involved in the healthcare industry and being someone that, as you mentioned earlier, you actually almost took your own life. Did this spark the interest? And do you feel that now you've experienced these feelings, it's your duty to spread awareness in order to prevent others from feeling the same way you did in the past? 
Well, I mean, back when I started writing it in 2013, I did write about a lot of these topics, and I did really share how I felt about that. So a lot of the information is already out there, so it mm -hmm. does exist. And that was yeah. before I started working in healthcare. So how about your marketing business that you built alongside then did this just flourish naturally alongside your writing or was this something that you tried to purposely build alongside what you were doing so when i was writing uh, i was hitting that 10 million uh, read point a lot of people started to ask me hey leonard can you teach me how to do what you did can you mentor me can you mentor me and i would say no because I didn't really have time. Then after a few months, I'm like, wait, like hundreds if not thousands of people messaged me asking if I could teach them how to do this. Why don't I like set up a course? Then once I set up a course teaching people how to do that, people just started to ask if I could actually do it for them. Then I started working for clients, <laughs> working with clients, uh, some who worked at like Cisco, Dropbox, and other places. Awesome. So as I say, it sort of just flourished. Not, like you wasn't, intending to do it as such it sort of just got to a point where you people realized that you were incredibly good at what you did so they started asking for help yeah awesome i mean that's sort of the ideal way to do it because i guess um becoming an expert in your field and then people asking um so did that sort of propel so let's go into more of the personal branding side as well now then because obviously you spoke about the importance of building a personal brand and how it's actually helped you and just managed to pick you up from step from the get-go as you say you sort of like let off work for a while but because you had already built this personal brand for yourself when you came back you were just be able to start where you left off pretty much so for someone that doesn't have a personal brand as of now how would you go about building one I think even before you get to that point, like you really have to think about something. Let's say you're working at a startup for about two years and then you decide to walk away from that. And then you come back into the market and that startup's out of business and all that hard work that you put into it is gone. You have to kind of reinvent yourself from scratch and you have to go and sell yourself really hard to either work with someone or <clears throat> start a new business or whatever it may be. For example, I had a resume full of failures and I had to like sell myself like no tomorrow to get an entry level job working at American Honda. But the other flip side of it is because I already had built a personal brand, I take that same two year walk away and I come back into things. It's like everything lifts right back off where it started and where I left off. And it wasn't like I had to go and re reinvent myself a brand new time. And if anyone in here knows anything about marketing, you can't do that with Facebook ads. Once you shut off the ads, you're done. You can't do that with SEO. Search engine ranking changes all the time. The only thing that you can really do that for that's going to stick around with you your entire life is personal branding. So how do you go out there and how do you utilize a personal brand? Uh, what we do is in our book, Ditch the Act, we cover an eight-step uh, expose yourself process. And we begin that eight-step expose yourself process with an exposure resume. And exposure resume is kind of like a regular resume, but you don't go out there and you tell all the 
achievements and the accomplishments that you kind of did at work, uh, you kind of flip it around and you start with the failures and the struggles and the vulnerabilities that you face. I think, and that again leads back to sharing failures, which is brilliant. And as it, and it's interesting that you're using the failures to an advantage in the aspects of presenting yourself to potential employers, for example. Well, the reason you want to start with the failures is uh, the exposure resume does more than just list down the failures. It has a little questionnaire after that because. And that questionnaire says, what do you think is going to happen if you go out there and share them? And then you kind of check off the boxes. And what we did is we listed a lot of positive things that would actually occur when this happens, as opposed to the negative thoughts that we have in our mind. Because naturally, what our mind does is is it naturally goes to negative thoughts when we think about anything. So what we do is we kind of reinforce the positives that are going to come from this. Now, with that exposure resume, you're using that as a tool to guide you through the rest of the eight-step or through the eight-step exposure yourself process. And the reason you're putting everything down into your exposure resume is because we've already been accustomed to going out there and sharing our good moments. We all know how to do that, like sharing our highlight reel. No problem. Every single person is really doing that on social media right now, right? Yeah. So we don't really need training on how to do that. We need training on how to share our bad moments and our horrible moments and our scariest moments. So it kind of exercises those muscles to get them started and running. And just like lifting weights, uh, when you start exercising a muscle, you just get better and better at it. So we start with the exposure resume because that way you're able to be inclusive of getting that information included into everything on top of just the good. Definitely. And is this something that you've actually sort of put into practice yourself or have put people to the test on? It is something that I practice myself and it's what I do with my clients who pay me about $10,000 a month for me to help them build their personal brand. I usually sit on the phone with them for about an hour and I'm like, tell me about your entire life story from early childhood all the way up to where you are today. But I don't want to just hear the very best moments. I want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then sometimes I'll have to reel out the ugly from them, but I'll get the ugly or else there's really no differentiators and no equalizers that connect them with their audiences. Sounds exactly like my podcast, if I must say. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously especially with the sort of mental health side of things again, this sort of stepping stone to recovery is obviously having the courage to speak out. I think that is the first point that obviously we've mentioned it, that people are scared of. So what are your sort of like first steps for people to actually admitting that admitting to their failures and being comfortable with talking about them? Because as we say, like, and we've mentioned it just here, but people aren't comfortable. We'll continuously talk about the successes, but how do you urge the failures out of people? Well, first, like I mentioned earlier, what happens is everyone's scared to go first, but they don't mind going second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth. Once they see someone first make that move, it's a lot easier to be second in line to do it. In the beginning of the book, my co-author, Ryan Fullen, and I, 
we share our personal stories. You get to know our biggest struggles, our biggest setbacks, our faces with um, wanting to commit suicide, his investigation with the Federal Trade Commission, like our big, bad, darkest secrets. We put them front and center. Then in the next portion of the book, we take research and uh, examples from public figures and some of the people that we've grown to know over the time and built successful personal brands and show that how that kind of works for them. So by that time, you're probably pretty inspired. You're seeing that this, uh, this could actually work. You have a little bit more faith in what's going on because it's not just Leonard and Ryan who this worked for. It worked for other people too. So that way you're a little bit more encouraged and a little bit more open to the eight-step expose yourself process as opposed to just thinking, oh, there's this tactical guide. I don't know if I want to do it or not. No, and I love the use of case studies as well, because I think it's a great idea, as you say, of inspiring people, because if you don't see it in practice, you don't nearly believe it as much. And I think, obviously, case studies are a big thing. You've put yourself front and center. You've shown your failures. So if you're willing to share yours, people should be willing to share theirs. And I love that. And I can't thank you enough for talking about all of that, because obviously it is, as you said, it's in you feel incredibly vulnerable opening up about your failures and you've laid them all on the table. And I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to what you've said, but there are three more questions I have for you on three topics that I don't believe are discussed enough, which are money relationships and death. So I'm going to start with the first question in relation to money. And I don't personally believe this question directly, directly relates to money and it what it's what does the word success mean to you and i'm going to quickly mention that i think that when people say success we instantly relate that to oh how much money do they earn but really why don't we see it as are oh, that person's really successful in being able to balance their time with their family they're really successful in their time at different basically different aspects other than how much money they they earn so what does the word success actually mean to you? To me, success isn't monetary, and it really hasn't been monetary for a while. To me, success is being able to spend time with who I want to spend time with and do what I want to do. And do you think that's... Was it ever originally money did you ever set out thinking okay that's my first goal and then sort of the goalpost move and then as soon as you had a little bit of money it didn't become as much of a factor or has it always been something about that time freedom of being able to spend time with the people you want to spend time with whenever you want to spend time with them when i was 21 i wanted to make a lot of money but that didn't really get me anywhere since i had about 10 years or something of failures and struggles and not really earning any money. I mean, it's nice to have money to pay the bills. It's nice to have money that goes towards a house, but I mean, it's just money. Yeah, of course. And so do you think putting it from the perspective of what you've seen of having no money at one point, having the money you have now that, money really doesn't play a factor in your happiness in comparison to other aspects. 
Well, I mean, a long time ago, I learned there's four types of people, and you could categorize them by like a shark, a whale, a dolphin, and an urchin. And urchin kind of loves numbers and statistics, and shark kind of likes money, and uh, a dolphin likes to go and have fun, and a whale is a very caring type of person. And they, and then usually those are the four primary triggers to really bring success and excitement into someone's lives. I don't really consider myself a shark or someone who's driven more by money. I think I'm more like the dolphin, and I like to have that time to go out there and have fun and do the things I want to do. Sure, I need enough money to go out there and be able to do all that, but I don't need tens of millions of dollars in the bank either. No, and I like that you say that as well, because obviously people are people who are driven by money do strive for those quite wealthy amounts i mean those tens of millions and sometimes could get disheartened if they don't get there but you're clearly having fun with what you've got and that's all that matters at the end of the day so my next question with regards to relationships is throughout your journey so far have you found it difficult to maintain relationships with others whether that's family friends a significant other or have you found a way for those closest to you to experience this journey right by your side the whole way there it was easier when i had less money (laughs) why why because i'm working a lot it's not fun to work this much (laughs) how many hours do you work a day do you think now then um i don't know 13 14 and what would you like it to be not zero (laughs) i know i think do you reckon that will change do you think you'll ever ease off or do you think it's so drilled into you now work that you can't ease off um i've been looking for an operator for my company but then yeah it's a struggle do you, would you think it's diff- would be difficult for you to let go of the processes then? So nope. It, nope. So you, I'll hand them you, all over. <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. They're all duplicatable. Yeah. It's all written down. It's all documented. It's all ready for someone to take it over. Do you have that fear that they might not be able to do it as good as you? Or do you have full trust in the fact that even if they might not do it as good as you, they can still do it well enough? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> You'll It'll see when the fine, time yeah. comes. <laughs> It'll be fine. Awesome. So my final question of the day, and I know it's a bit of a morbid topic to end the episode on, but it's a really, I find it a really interesting question because I get some really cool answers. So the question is, are you afraid of dying? Some days. I had a dream on Saturday so yeah, it was Saturday. I woke up in the morning and I had a dream and I was avoiding a tiger and the car spun around multiple times. And it seemed pretty scary and I think I was pretty shocked and it felt like I didn't want to die and I still wanted to live. So I'm going to say, yeah, that's pretty scary. Car accidents seem pretty scary. I'm scared to fall down the stairs at home because, <laughs> um, because I fell off. I broke my ankle the last time I fell down. So my body has this like trauma built into it where it's like those stairs here, let's let your whole body shake now. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. 
um scared to die <laughs> Fair enough. then on the other side if i did die i mean life has been pretty much a blessing too and i have been able to fulfill a lot so it goes both ways awesome and thank you for answering that question as well because some people are often they sort of hold back and they're like i don't know and they don't really say anything but you've given a true answer which i appreciate as well and again thank you for answering all my questions but now it's over to you where can my listeners follow up with you let's plug your book where they can find it where they can find you on social or just basically where they can follow up with you sure if you want to go out there and build your personal brand into something sustainable and you have like twenty dollars or so you can go to ditchtheact.com and learn more about our book or find it in a bookstore uh, if you want a course that teaches you everything that you need to know, uh, we have one at influencetree.com. If you need one-on-one hand-holding, then you can always email me at hello at lennykim.com, and we have uh, agency-type services that really help you out. If you're uh, interested in learning more about me, you could always go to leonardkim.com and see all the different things I do. And if you're someone who's like into like data privacy and things like that, uh, we're uh, doing uh, what's it called? We're doing beta testing for our suite of privacy products, and we're starting out with communication tools. If you go to moolamail.io, you can secure your username, and we're giving away anyone who beta tests the product a free premium service for life. So that's moolamail.io, and yeah. Oh, you can find me at Mr. Leonard Kim on Twitter and stuff too. Of course. And they will all be in the show notes below. So I know there was a lot there, but don't worry listeners about remembering them. Simply scroll down to the show notes and you'll find all the links. But once again, Leonard, thank you for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast and I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible business owners and entrepreneurs every single week. So you can really help me out by smashing that subscribe button and by leaving me a five-star review over in the iTunes store. It literally takes two seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. Make sure you tune into the next episode where I'm going to be talking to another incredibly interesting guest. I'll be discussing their journey and providing tips to all your aspiring and current business owners. Have a lovely rest of your day. And once again, thank you for tuning in to CEO Journals.